walk. So just, just making sure that we're all on the same page. So well, the thing is that when you look at Jamie, who can do the moonwalk well, and I, I don't try that, so, uh, but when you look at it, it looks like in the moonwalk, like you would be going forward, but you're getting pulled backwards. And I think a lot of times that's what, similar to what happens in our faith and in our relationship, is that we look like we're focused on going forward in this relationship with Jesus. We're focused in moving forward on faith, but what can begin to happen is it's like we're getting pulled backwards into religion and into this religion mindset about doing and, and this checklist idea, if I'm doing all these things and I'm earning God's favor and all these different things like that, where we begin to lose sight of the relationship that God desires for us. Because what can happen is we begin to lose that boldness or that daring steps, or those risks, that obedience that we might take in that relationship because of what Jesus has done in our life, and we begin to drift back maybe into comfort or into doing just the things that we think any good Christian does. And the idea that God wants for us is he wants us to be in relationship with him. But what happens when we think about this moonwalk effect is, is exactly what was happening to the Galatian people in the book of Galatians in the New Testament. And during the series, we've been going through and looking at passages throughout the book of Galatians. It's found in the New Testament. And really, the book of Galatians is a letter written to the church in Galatia by the Apostle Paul. And he's addressing some of these big issues. And one of these is this fact that that what had happened is the people in the church in Galatia had put their faith in Jesus, but had begun to slip back into religion and into some of their old religious practices. And were beginning to lose sight of the relationship that God desired for them to have. And so we pick up this passage today in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 3. If you don't, you can follow along with the scripture. It'll be on the screens whenever we read through it. But in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, this is really where the Apostle Paul begins to address this issue, this disease of the moonwalk effect in their relationship with God. And when we start this off, I mean, it's some pretty strong language at first when Paul begins to address this. Uh, He doesn't do it lightly. He comes at it pretty strong. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read through this passage, and then we'll come back and explain it at the end, because there's a lot of moving pieces in here. There's a lot of background stuff. So if you get confused, just hang with us, and we're going to come back in just a minute and walk through it. So this is what he says in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Here's the key question in verse 5. He says, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Going on to verse 6, he says, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10, he says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. 
Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Verse 13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now when you you read this, man, it's like, wow, there's a lot happening right here. So what we want to do is try and walk through this and unpack it just a little bit to begin to see what we can learn from this or what might apply to our lives. And, and in the beginning of this, Paul, he starts off pretty strong. He starts off, he calls him foolish. He's like, who bewitched you? He starts coming in and, and asking these questions. And his big question was, was it your faith in Jesus and what you heard about him? Was it your faith or was it your religion and your observance of the law that ultimately got you forgiveness, got you God's spirit, that God did miracles among you, which one was it? And he begins to approach this in this manner. And, and for us, I think, to understand why Paul is so strong in this and to, to go back to it, I think we need to walk through a few background items here. And, and going all the way back, even to the beginning of creation, when God created everything and he spoke this whole world and universe into existence, when he created the stars and the moon and the sun, he created the land and the sea, he created animals and plants and trees, and he even created mankind. And God created Adam and Eve, and the scripture tells us in the book of Genesis, way back in the beginning, that God created Adam and Eve different from all the rest of creation. That Adam and Eve were created in the very image of God. And that they were created in this image and that they enjoyed this relationship with God that was different from all the rest of creation. And when you think about this, if you can use Legos to to illustrate this, God created mankind, Adam and Eve, to ultimately be in relationship with him and to be connected with him. He created us to have this relationship where there is no break, where there is no gap, where we are connected with God, we're in a relationship with him. And this is what Adam and Eve enjoyed in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning of creation, is that they enjoyed our connected relationship with God. But God didn't desire for just some mindless robots who just say, okay, God, we'll do whatever you want. We'll go here, we'll do this, we'll do everything like this. But God put there in the garden, he, he put in there tons of trees, tons of fruit, tons of things for them to eat. And he basically told Adam and Eve, you can go anywhere in the garden, you can do anything you want, you can eat from any tree you want, except there's one tree. There's one tree that you can't eat from. And ultimately they had a choice, because God said, if you eat from this, you will surely die. And they had this choice, do we go ahead and, and do whatever, do, live in here and stay away from this one tree and obey God? Or do we choose to reject God and go eat this fruit? And ultimately what happened is we see when we read the scripture that Adam and Eve ended up eating the fruit from this tree. And as a result of eating that, sin entered into the world. And when sin entered, the relationship that they once enjoyed with God was broken. That now they were no longer in relationship with God, but they had been broken and that they were separated from God and in that relationship because of the sin. That it was the sin, that it was their placing their own desires before God. It was their disobedience to God that ultimately came in and broke the relationship and separated them from being in relationship with God. 
And this was a problem for Adam and Eve, but is a problem throughout all history. Even today, this is the underlying problem that the scripture points to is that because of our sin, that we are separated from God. That it's our sin that separates us from him that keeps us from being in relationship with him. And so we have this problem that we have to deal with and address in some way. But God, having created us to be in relationship with him, made a plan and a way for our sin to be dealt with. And this is where Paul begins to point out Abraham. Abraham was a guy in the the Old Testament, in the very beginning of the Bible. And, And Abraham was a man of faith, as Paul describes him. And he had this faith in God that, that when God said something, he would just say, God, I believe you're going to do it, and he would do it. He didn't just say, sure, I, I believe that, and then just sat back. He would say, I believe it, and I'll do it. And, and it points out here, Paul points out that this is why God credited righteousness to him. That basically because of Abraham's faith, his belief, his, his actions that were driven by his faith, that God said, because of that, you're in right standing with me. And God comes to Abraham, and he gives him this promise. He gives him a promise to say, you know what, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And ultimately from Abraham, we see the Jewish people come from Abraham. But then God also makes a promise with him to say, you know what, there's a sin issue. And through your line, through the people that I start with you, there is a promise of a Savior to come who will deal with the sin issue that will ultimately then bless all the nations. And this is why Paul says in here that the gospel was foretold, this message of Jesus was foretold through Abraham and through this promise. And I think a lot about this promise, kind of like Christmas morning. Uh, If if any of you were ever like me, a couple times, it didn't happen a lot, but every now and then, a couple times, I got a a picture for my Christmas present instead of the actual gift. Anybody? Anybody get that? Maybe like none of, wow, I'm all up here all alone, awesome. So, <clears throat> so you know, I got a couple times, my, my parents or something like this, like they, they were going to get me a gift, and they hadn't been able to get the gift yet, or it hadn't come in yet, or something like that, but there was a picture, and maybe there's the money in there, or a note that says, we're going to get you this gift, like the Lego pirate ship. We're going to get this for you for Christmas. This is a gift. Here's a promise of what we're going to give you, and we have a plan to get it. Well, in the same way, when God came to Abraham, he said, okay, I haven't made you a nation yet, and I haven't sent a Savior yet through you, but I'm making a promise that I have a plan that I will bring about. And ultimately, this is why why Paul says that we are children of Abraham, or we share his faith or share his promise, because later as we see through Jesus, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise that took care of sin, and we get to inherit part of the promise of Abraham. So there was the promise. But now about 400 years later, after, after Abraham and after this promise, God sent to Moses and to the Israelite people what's called the law. And Paul refers to this several times in here when he talks about the observance of the law. He talks about those who are underneath the law are cursed. Sounds like a fun time. You know, he, he's like, you're, if you're underneath the law, you're cursed. And what the law is, is in the first five books of the Bible, we find the law that God had given, and it has things in there about, the t- like, the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've heard some of these, where you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't have other gods before God, you shouldn't use his name in vain, some of these different things like this in the Ten Commandments. And then they talked about uh, religious practices, sacrifices, how to treat the land, different religious days, all these different things that the people were supposed to do. You know, and so it may have been kind of like a law checklist, and, you know, today we, we make these law checklists, too, in church. You know, we're like, okay, we've got to give 10%, go to church every week, I've got to dress up for church. 
of course. I got to pray for 30 minutes a day. <clears throat> I got to recycle. That's a big one. Um, don't steal anything. And, and, you know, we're thinking, oh, great, I can do these. Yeah, check, 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 check. Got it. I'm good. But this is the thing with the law and why Paul says we're under a curse is because as we get going down this, we realize, oh, wait a minute. There's a lot more to it. The law is pretty extensive. I mean, some of the things on here, like I got to have a goatee, you know, random act of kindness, you know, I don't know, something like that. So we get going through this, and Paul says, look, there's no way that the law that God has given that we can do it, that we can do it perfectly. And there's no one who is justified by the law. I mean, if you think about it, all of us are lawbreakers, not just of God's law, but also, I'm having a hard time folding this, I'm sorry. This is, this is the first time this happened all day. Sorry. So God says that we're all lawbreakers. Paul says we're all lawbreakers in God's law, that we can't do it. And all of us are lawbreakers of the United States of America or state or local laws. If you have ever driven a car, yeah, now everybody's like, yeah, you're right, dude. Yeah. If you've ever driven a car, if you've ever gone over one mile per hour over the speed limit, you're a lawbreaker. If you've ever cut somebody off, lawbreaker. If you've ever not used a turn signal, lawbreaker. I remember in North Carolina where I grew up, like one of the rules was you have to honk the horn before you back up. Break that one all the time. Like all of us have broken laws because what happens is just with driving, there's so many different laws that there's no way that all of us can be perfect at every legal driving law that there is. We're going to break one eventually. And what happens is when we break that, we no longer have a perfect driving record. But in the same way, when it comes to God's law, if we break even just one of the smallest things, then we're a lawbreaker. We're not perfect. And what happens is with the law, what it does is it points out our sin. The law points back to our sin, and the problem with it is that it's separating us from God. And even more, the law that God had given points out the problem of sin, but it also points back to the promise and the need for the promise to be fulfilled so that our sin can be dealt with so that we can have a relationship with God. And as Paul gets writing through this, he comes to verse 13 where he says that Christ redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. That Christ Jesus redeemed us from underneath the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us when he faced the cross. You see, the scripture tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, stepped out of heaven, became fully God, fully man, walked on this earth, and lived a perfect life. That ultimately through Jesus' life that he fulfilled every requirement there is in the law. He fulfilled everything in it. And that he ultimately would become the fulfillment of the promise by being the one who would go to the cross to deal with our sin. You see, the Bible tells us, and Paul says this, that he redeems us out from under the law, he redeems us out from under sin, that when we put our faith in Jesus, then when we have faith to come and say, I can't do this in my own. I can't get rid of my sin. I can't uphold this law. I can't do it. But when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm putting my faith and trust in you that what you did on the cross is enough. I'm giving you my life and I'll follow you with whatever you want from me. I'm all in. I'm here to follow you. I'm trusting you. That when we would do that, that, that literally our sin would be forgiven, that God would forgive it and take it away. And the scripture actually describes it as this, is that our sin is taken and nailed to the cross of Christ. That Christ bears our sin on the cross when we respond to him in faith. And ultimately, scripture tells us that, that through what Jesus did, that God offers us the gift of eternal life. 
the gift of grace that covers our sins and brings about forgiveness. And it's because of what Jesus did on the cross that removes us from religion and allows us to have a relationship with God, to be restored in the relationship that God intended and created us to have because of what Jesus did here on the cross. And what had happened in, in Galatians and in this book with this church is, and what Paul is addressing is that the people had come to this faith in Jesus. They had come to the understanding of what Jesus had done on the cross. They had put their faith in him. Their lives had been changed. They had experienced forgiveness. They had experienced their relationship with God. Even the promise, as, Abraham, or as, as Paul points out, the promise of God's spirit being in their lives and God living in them, they had experienced all this, but they had begun to drift back into religion and into observance of the law. And they had begun to settle back into it. And Paul begins to write to them in this book and correcting their perspective. See, they had gotten their perspective off. And he's writing to them to help them correct their perspective that it's not about this religion mindset. It's not about the observance of the law, but it's all about the faith and the relationship that we have with Jesus. And he spends this, this time and spends this whole book writing to address that issue. And so many times I think that that is where we're at in our faith in the church, is that we begin to come to faith in Jesus, but then we begin to drift back, or we just get stuck in this religious mindset of doing things, and we miss out on the relationship. And so for us, we want to talk about four key perspective shifts that we can make in our relationship that can help us begin to stay focused on the relationship aspect, not the religion aspect. And so the first of these is acting out of grace, not guilt. Acting out of grace, not guilt. When you look in the Galatians and you read through this book, what had happened is the people had begun to, to act and to serve God with a sense of guilt. That if they didn't do these things in the law, that God wouldn't forgive them, or any good Christian would. Like they had, they had people that were coming and teaching them, if you don't get circumcised, if you don't eat these types of foods, if you don't observe these types of days, then you're not really a good Christian. And so they began to respond with this guilt aspect of doing this. And, and I'm sure like some of you have ever been, you've been in this position where maybe you felt kind of guilt-tripped to do something. You know, somebody said, hey, you owe me. Or maybe you got that email forward that tried to guilt-trip you. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like the one that's like, if you love Jesus, you'll send this to 50 of your friends. You guys know? And, and you're like thinking, I don't even have 50 friends. <laughs> oh, man. But I love it. Like uh, on those emails, it's a perfect example of this. They try to guilt you into forwarding spam to all of your friends and coworkers. And people will do it because they feel guilty. They're driven and they're acting out of guilt to do that. And so many of the times we can approach our relationship with Jesus, just like these Galatians, and responding out of guilt. If I, if I don't do this, then, then I'll feel guilty because a good Christian should do these things or do this. Maybe some of you bear guilt and you have a burden of guilt over some of your past actions, some of your past sins, and you question, man, how could God ever forgive me for that? And you've been carrying this guilt about how you acted in your marriage. You've been carrying this guilt about your sexual past. You've been carrying this, this burden of guilt on your back and you approach your relationship with God out of guilt thinking that you are no, not worthy. When in reality, what Christ has done on the cross is extended to us grace. Where Jesus has said, come to me, you who are heavy laden, you who are weary, you who are tired, bring your burdens to me, lay them down. My place is easy. What I will give you is rest. And Jesus is inviting us to come with that guilt and lay those burdens down so that we might experience his grace. 
Grace is something that is given to us. It's not something we, we earn or we deserve, but God's grace is given to us, and it's displayed through Jesus on the cross, that God would give that to us, that he would forgive our sins, that he would take away our burdens, that he would cover us, and he would allow us to be in relationship with him. And so maybe for some of you, the thing that you need to begin to do is, is to, to correct your perspective, not to act or serve God out of guilt, but to approach God out of the grace that you have received through Jesus. To begin to act out of grace and not guilt. A second key perspective for us is acting out of privilege, not duty. The Galatians also had begun to, to serve God out of the sense of duty. We have to do these things in order to be in our relationship with God. We have to do ABC in order to be there. And, and duty has that, that mindset that we come in and we approach things like, I have to do these things. But privilege comes in and saying, I get to do this. I have the privilege, the opportunity to do this thing. I think about this in my marriage with my, with, uh, my wife, Kendall. And uh, every now and then, when she goes out for maybe the day, or if she's home and she's in another part of the house, I'll do something that all husbands should do from time to time. Empty the dishwasher, right? I know you guys are, I'm great. Marriage advice right here. So I'll empty the dishwasher from time to time, not because I feel a sense of duty that I have to do it, not because Kendall has said, you better empty the dishwasher, but I do it because it's a privilege to serve her. Because I see everything that she does for me, for our daughter Ella, for our, in our home, all the things that she does to serve us and take care of us. And for me, then it's, it's a privilege to empty the dishwasher, to do something like that, to serve her. And I love it when she comes back. And sometimes it takes her a few minutes to notice. But then it's like she comes around the corner with this big smile like, you unloaded the dishwasher. And it's like the greatest thing ever. And I'm like, oh, of course. What did you expect, babe? You know? But it's a privilege to serve my wife. It's not a duty. And so many times we approach our relationship with God with that duty mindset, like, I have to do this to please God. When in, re when in reality, what we need to do is shift our perspective to see it as a privilege. That, that ultimately, we get to be in relationship with God. We get to serve God. We get to give generously. We get to serve with our time. We get to use our talents and our gifts and everything because of what Jesus has done for us. Because God has given so much because Jesus gave his life so that we might have life, that we might have forgiveness. And as a result, when we begin to approach that way, it becomes a privilege. It's no longer a checklist of, did I attend church? Did I pray every day? Did I read my Bible? Did I give? Did I do all these things? Those things are good. Yes, God can use those to help grow us and grow our faith. But they shouldn't be the duty list to do. But it should be a privilege to say, God, how can you use me? God, what can you do with my life? And maybe for some of you today... Your approach to your relationship with God, you need to shift that perspective to see it as, man, God has given me so much that it is a privilege to be used by God. That it is a privilege to be here today. That it is a privilege to do and serve my God. And we begin to shift our perspective by acting out of privilege, not duty. The third key perspective shift for us is acting out of forgiveness, not to earn forgiveness. See, part of this, when you come back and you study through the book of Galatians, what had happened is, part of what we talked about is that they had been told, yeah, you need your faith in Jesus, but you also need to do these things. 
You need to be circumcised. You need to uh, go observe these types of days. You need to do these types of things in order for this to really count. And what had happened is, as they had drifted back into this, they began to do things thinking that their faith was not enough, but that they needed to do these different things to earn forgiveness. And maybe some of you grew up in a, in a tradition or a religion or a background or another church where, where these types of things were put on you. That you need to give this much to cover your sin, that you need to serve this many hours, that you need to say this many prayers, you need to go talk to this person, you do these types of things to ultimately earn your forgiveness. But what the Bible teaches us is that forgiveness doesn't come through me trying to earn it. Because if it did, there would be no need for Jesus to go to the cross. If, if, if I could earn my forgiveness and get my relationship back with God, if I could do enough good, if I could be perfect enough, then there's no need for Jesus to die and give his life. But it's because of what Jesus has done on the cross that we respond by faith that we receive the free gift of grace and we receive forgiveness through our faith that our sin will be taken away. It's that faith that now I am forgiven. And my response is now not to try and earn God's forgiveness, but it is a response because I have been forgiven. That it's because of, of Jesus that I'm forgiven and now I'm going to serve God. Now I approach this relationship and say, God, I'm, I'm all in. That's why it becomes a privilege. That's why it becomes acting out of grace because we realize the forgiveness that we have. Because we've been forgiven, now our actions and our serving and our words and everything is driven by the fact that we have been forgiven. And for maybe some of you today, as you struggle with this, you, you have this in the back of your mindset that like, I, I have to do these things in order to earn the forgiveness and the favor of God. And maybe for you, it's beginning to shift your perspective to realize, no, if your faith is in Jesus, that you have been forgiven. As it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To take it all away. That through Christ we can be forgiven and as a result we can act out of forgiveness, not to earn forgiveness. So we have the key perspective shifts that we act out of grace, not guilt. We act out of privilege, not duty. We act out of forgiveness, not to earn forgiveness. And the fourth one, which I think for me, is one of the hardest. And I think for most of us, as we begin to, to go over longer periods of time in a relationship with Jesus, this is the one where we get stuck. This is the hard one. It's that we begin to act out of a spirit-led life, not a comfortable life. Act out of a spirit-led life and not a comfortable life. See, the life that Jesus has called us to is, is a relationship. It's this intimate relationship with our God and our creator who gives us purpose. And ultimately, it, it says in the scripture that he puts his spirit within us. That it would be God's spirit in us that is leading us, that is guiding us, that is, is talking through with us and, and guiding us through this life. And that we would begin to live in that. And sometimes the spirit-led life, honestly, is not easy. It stretches us. God grows us. Anytime our faith grows... It, it's hard. Anytime we grow, it, it, it'll hurt from time to time. And we begin to grow and we begin to step out in boldness. We begin to be daring. We begin to take risks. We begin to follow in obedience as God's spirit guides us and leads us. And the Galatian people, what had happened is we read through the end of Galatians, is some of them had begun to fall back into observance of the law 
from their faith, they begin to fall back into their observance of the law, ultimately to be more comfortable. Because when we read in this book, in Galatians, they have been suffering some persecution. They have been suffering some uh, persecution and suffering from, from their faith in Jesus. And so some of them had begun to fall back into observance of the law and doing some of these different things so that they wouldn't stick out. They wouldn't be seen as different. That this wouldn't set them apart. And as a result, they were drifting back into religion. They were drifting back into comfort. Now, for a lot of us here today, we don't face the type of persecution that they faced in the early church. But for us, what this might look like is in the area, for example, of generosity. I honestly, I think this is one of my biggest struggles and, and holds where God has been growing me over the past few years and continues to grow me. But when we think about this idea of generosity, what do we do with our money? That, that when we look at the law and we look back in the Old Testament and, and God's word, we find that that the, the minimum standard was 10%. It was the tithe. That, that everybody would give what was required of them, that they would give 10% of all their income. Now, for some of you, if you're new to church, new to faith, and you think, wow, 10%, that's huge. I don't know how to do that. But over time, if you think about it, if you begin to adjust, you begin to adjust your budget, you begin to adjust your lifestyle, you begin to just know, okay, it, we give 10% what can happen is it can begin to get kind of easy. Because if you budget for it, if you plan for it, if it's there, it's like, yeah, 10%, sure, got it, good. And what can begin to happen is in this relationship, we go from this relationship where like, God, it is a privilege and honor to give financially because you provided for me, you've offered forgiveness, you've done all these things, but as we begin to go, we begin to drift back into this comfort of 10%. Think, yeah, I'm doing it, man. I'm in there. And when God comes to us and he's like, I want you to give 11 this year. You're like, whoa, time out, God. We, uh, this is right here, right? 10%. No more. God's like, no, I want you to give 11. You're like, God, we, we talked about this, like, right? Like 10%. And then maybe later God continues to stretch you. I want you to give 12. I want you to give 13. I want you to give 14. Not out of this religious duty, but stretching and growing our faith. Maybe God comes to you and says, I want you to give to help set human trafficking victims free. I want you to give to be able to send missionaries across the world so that they can go tell about what Jesus has done for them. I want you to go and give more financially so that you can help start other churches in our, in, in our area or in our country. And you think about this, when, when giving becomes this, when it's spirit-led, it stretches us, it's tough, it hurts, but there's not an area more where God can begin to grow our faith because now, instead of getting comfortable with saying, yeah, I'm giving 10%, we're good, we're budgeting, everything like that, it begins to stretch our faith and our dependence on God begins to go up to a higher level. That now we have to depend on God even more to provide. We have to depend on God even more to meet our needs. And God begins to stretch us out of our comfort so that we follow him with a spirit-led life. And for some of you, what this might look like is in your relationships even. Maybe there's some of you that need to deal with some type of conflict or some type of forgiveness issues in a marriage or in a relationship that you have, and you haven't dealt with that because that would be uncomfortable. That would force you to get out of your comfort zone, and God's been dealing with you in it and prompting you on it and saying you need to get this relationship clear. And when we begin to act out of a spirit-led life, we're willing to say, God, when you call me to give, I'll give. When you call me to talk to this person about this issue, I'll talk to him. When you call me to tell somebody about Jesus, I'll do it. When you call me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'm all in. I'm going to follow you because of all that you've done in my life through Jesus. Because of everything that you've offered me, because of, of the forgiveness, the grace, I will do it. God, I surrender all to you. 
And that's when we begin to live in that spirit-led life. We begin to get out of the comfort life. And this can be hard for us. But maybe for some of you, the thing that you need to do today and this week is to begin to check your heart and say, have I gotten comfortable? Is there something in my life that God is saying, I want you to do this? And you're like, no, 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 God. <laughs> uh, this is, yeah, you can't touch this spot. Like, this is mine. This is my money. This is my time. This is my relationship. God, you, <laughs> you stay over here. We'll stay here. We're good. Maybe there's an issue that you need to deal with in that and to get with God and say, God, whatever you want from me, I'll do it. And begin to shift your perspective to a spirit-led life versus a comfortable life. I think about this, and I think about what Paul is writing in this perspective, that can you imagine for us how much different our life could be if we began to, to get focused on the relationship and we began to not be focused on the religion and the doing? Maybe for some of you, you're here, and this is the first time you've been to church. Maybe it's the first time in a long time, and this is the first time you've ever heard Jesus explain like this. Maybe others, you grew up in church, and this, you checked out, and this didn't make any sense. But now you're like, wow, I understand what God did. And I think about this. Imagine how your life could be different, knowing that by what Christ has done for you, that you can have forgiveness, that you can have a relationship with God where you can find purpose, where you can find life, where you can have hope and peace where your past sin and burdens and guilt that you've been carrying and dealing with and your past struggles, that now Jesus is offering to take those from you. Imagine how your life could be different. Imagine for, for those of us who are followers of Christ, you said yes to Jesus, how much different could your relationship with him be if you began to not function out of guilt, out of trying to earn your forgiveness and out of duty, but you began to see it as a privilege. You began to see it as living out in the grace that you received. You began to, to see it as you're acting in the, because of the fact you've been forgiven. How much different could your life and your relationship with God be? Think about this. Think about for us as a church and for us as individuals, if we began to shift to living a spirit-led life and began to not say, God, I want to be, not to be comfortable, but say, God, I want to be used by you. Can you imagine what God could do through us as individuals, through us as a church in our, in our city and in our area and even in our country as we begin to really pursue after him and say, God, we will not be a group of people who want to be comfortable and sit back, but we will be a group of people who, God, we want to give you everything. We want to be spirit-led. We want to give when you say give. We want to go when you say go. We want to do whatever it takes, God, to follow you. And wherever you're leading us, we will follow unabandoned. We will give in everything to come follow you. I mean, if we all begin to approach that, if our church begin to have that attitude, each of us individually seeking after God, you can imagine what God could do with our church. You can imagine what God could do in our lives, in your family, in your workplace, in your friends. I mean, you can imagine the things that God can do if we begin to shift our perspective to approaching God in the spirit-led way. And if we begin to say, God, I want the relationship, I'm focused on the relationship, help me keep from drifting back into religion. See, Christ died to bring us a relationship, not to bring us a checklist. Maybe for some of you today, that's where you need to start, is with that relationship with Jesus. You need to start by today talking with somebody, or maybe stopping by our Connection Center right out in the main lobby and just saying, hey, I just need to talk to somebody about a relationship with Jesus. We have people there that'll be there to talk with you, that want to help resource you, that want to give you tools and pray with you and help answer some of your questions. Maybe for others of you, it's in your relationship. As we said this week, you need to take some time and check your heart and say, how am I doing? How is my perspective? Am I focused on the relationship or am I caught in the moonwalk and drifting into religion? Let's pray.
God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for Jesus.